This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. So, we're in the middle of this series called Actions Speak Louder Than Words. They surely do. I was in a dentist office uh, on Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, watching Dr. Phil. I would have no other reason to watch Dr. Phil. But there was a man on Dr. Phil who used to be a pastor, and he became an insurance agent. And at some point along the line, he, he saw an untapped market uh, of call girls or hookers. <laughs> and he decided to take his business to their business. I guess they need insurance too. Well, at some point along the line, uh, he fell in love or lust with one of them. And she started asking him for money. And he started dishing out his money. Well, a couple years and $70,000 later, this guy's marriage is falling apart. He's in debt up to his eyeballs. And he's sitting on a nationally televised talk show when Dr. Phil asks him, so why did you do it? Why did you give this girl that you barely knew all of this money? He said, well, I was just being a good Samaritan. You kidding me? A good Samaritan. The point of this is that our culture uh, takes this biblical text that many of us know is the Good Samaritan, this story, um, and they use it in such a way to say that being a good Samaritan is simply doing good deeds. Not that this guy was doing any good deeds. But it's so much more than that. And today, we're going to go through this story. It is much more than just doing good deeds. This story is much richer and much deeper. So I want to take you with me. Let's do it together. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I'm in the English Standard Version. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a million-dollar question. Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. I want to pause there for a moment. And point out that the character in this story, other than Jesus, was a lawyer. Some of your texts might say uh, an expert of religious law. The law that we're talking about is the law of the Old Testament. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. How many of us have ever touched those (laughs) books of the Bible? Well, the reason that's important is because this expert in religious law was speaking only of that portion of the Bible which was written at that time, and his interpretation of all these laws that we find just funky, his interpretation of all of that, the reason for it, is love. Love God. Love your neighbor. We tend to think as uh, Christians sometimes that, that we're, kind of, we're, we're in, we're golden, if we just come to church pray, read our Bibles. And it's, it's so much more than that. It always has been, and it always will be. I don't care what testament you're in, what, what time you're in. We are called to love with everything that we've got. So let's read a little bit further, now that we know the command to love. But he, that is the man, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, 
leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay, when, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, one thing to keep in mind is this story is fictional, okay? It's a, it's a parable. So, Jesus chose the characters in this story for a specific reason. The two men, the first two men in the story are a priest and a Levite. A Levite was, was simply... Um, kind of like a temple assistant. They had somewhat priestly duties, but combined, the priests and the Levites were like the clergy of today. They were the paid religious leaders, professional religious leaders. And these two people are the, are the two people that, that Jesus picked in this story to see the man lying half dead on the side of the road, and they passed by him. They, they walked to the other side, so they didn't have to do anything about it. We could speculate as to why they did that, but again, they're fictional characters, so there's no point in speculating. The fact is, they did do that. What was Jesus getting at? I'm convicted by uh, by this. Even right now, I'm getting ready to to start a job working uh, for the church. You all will be paying me. (laughs) And, uh, And there's something about about doing, about preaching and, and leading disciples, which I've been doing for a couple years now, and, and, and just having that, uh, I guess you'll call it status, that makes me feel sometimes like if I'm just, as if I'm just uh, righteous. Like my righteousness comes from a status. And uh, the sad thing is, is that many other people feel the same way about uh, not just me, but other, other people as well um, that are in those types of positions. What Jesus is saying to this expert in religious law is how you define holiness and righteousness is wrong. Because you can have all of those things. You can know the law. You can know the Bible front to back. If you don't have love and mercy, if you don't stand up for justice, the principles that God really cares about, it's, it's not worth a darn thing. And that's a fact. Now, the third guy in the story that Jesus picks is a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans, this is important to know, were hated by the Jews. And in fact, the, the hatred was mutual. The Samaritans hated the Jews as well. Some quick background, this all happened. There were 12 tribes of Israel, which you probably knew. Uh, after the reign of King Solomon... Those tribes split, and the ten tribes made up uh, a northern kingdom, and the other two tribes made up the southern kingdom. Well, that northern kingdom in the 8th century B.C. was attacked by the Assyrians, and they were sent into exile. Well, at some point along the line, uh, there were some that remained, some that came back, and they, they intermarried, intermingled, and they had, uh, they had 
babies, and, and they were half-breeds to the Jews. So you had these half-breeds and then, and then pure-breeds, and, and they both claimed to worship the same God. They had the same law, but they worshiped at different places, and, and the Jews definitely felt superior. Man, they despised the Samaritans, so much so that when they were on the road from Galilee to Jerusalem, Samaria was right smack dab in the middle, and there was the quickest road going straight through it. The Jews, many of them, would walk around the country of Samaria so that they didn't have to come in contact with the Samaritans. This is how much they hated them. You can imagine how the Samaritans felt towards them. <laughs> Feeling that hatred. And so in this story, Jesus says it was the Samaritan that saw the Jewish man lying half dead on the side of the road. And he had compassion. A man that he hated and a man that hated him. This idea about being a good Samaritan is much more than just doing good deeds and doing a, being a good person. about loving those that you hate or that hate you, loving your enemies. So take us to Luke chapter 6. I think this is a great text. But I say to you who hear, this is Jesus, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. What Jesus is getting at is that when it comes to love and mercy and upholding the golden law in our faith, there are zero exceptions. But we are called to be in perfect love all the time, everywhere, with everybody. No exceptions. See, the reason for this is because God is holy. Holy simply means to be set apart, okay? So what that means is that in eternity spent in the visible, tangible presence of God means that we need to be holy as well. It requires us to be holy as well. We must be set apart with him, not set apart from him. When people hear this, they often think of God as uh, this pretentious, kind of judgmental, holier-than-thou being. Like, I can't be around sinners, but it's actually the exact opposite. What we see, if we go back to one of the first stories in the Bible, the Garden of Eden, is that when Adam and Eve, the first humans, sinned, what did they do? They hid. 
God went to go find them, and they hid from God. He knew that they had already sinned. God did not hide from them. We learn that in the Bible, if we see the face of God in this life, that we will instantly die. He's so glorious. We see stories, read stories about prophets who have dreams and visions. They enter into God's presence and they fall on their face like they just can't stand it. As if dead, John says. He's so glorious and I'm so unworthy. That's the reaction that they all have. It's not God that can't stand to be around sinners. It's sinners that can't stand to be around God. And this is why we must be holy in order to spend eternity with God, the gift of eternal life. It's for our own shame. We wouldn't be able to bear it. And the only way to feel when we understand that we're guilty, that we've fallen short of this perfect law, which, come on, we all have, the only way uh, to, to get rid of that is, is to somehow convince ourselves that we've lived up to the standard of perfect love. What we end up doing is, is doing exactly what this lawyer did when it says desiring to justify himself. He asked, well, well who is my neighbor? That's what we do. We, we, we have to find, we have to justify ourselves. We have to convince ourselves that we're worthy, that we're innocent, not guilty. And I find it interesting that, that the lawyer didn't say, well, it wasn't a what question. It was a who question, okay? He didn't say, well, what exactly is love? Or, or how should I go about loving God? No, he said, he said who is my neighbor? And I think this says a lot about our human nature in general, that when uh, we've been made aware of our sin, we look to others to compare ourselves to other people. Desiring to justify ourselves, we find it easier to look at others and figure out how we're better than them. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? that's a double-edged sword because there's always somebody better than you. This is simply a tool, a way, something that we use of avoiding guilt and shame. And let me tell you something. Denial is not a river in Egypt. <laughs> Sorry. Your efforts to justify yourself are worthless. They're, they're completely worthless. You know, deep down, if you're honest with yourself, that you have failed repeatedly, time and time and again, to be a good person, just simply to be a good person, let alone a great person. We all have. Romans 3 says that there is no distinction between us, but all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And to the God, your creator, that's perfect and holy, we run away from him, we intentionally ignore him, or we deny his existence altogether because we know that in his presence, we stand guilty. 
his presence, we, we, have, we have nothing. There's no justification for what you've done or what I've done. And this is what we call being spiritually bankrupt. Remember when Jesus says in his first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. And he says, because, because they shall receive the kingdom of heaven. We must get to that point because it's the truth. It is, is the absolute truth that we are not living up to the ethical standards which we know are true. It's only here when we realize that we're not the good Samaritan, but we're the man on the side of the road. And you know who showed us mercy? Jesus. Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John writes that the Word, being Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. I love the, the message is a, uh, another Bible, I'm going to paraphrase translation, and he writes that, that Jesus moved into our neighborhood. It's that picture of being a neighbor. He proved to be our neighbor. In true Good Samaritan fashion, by showing us mercy, even though we hated him, even when we rejected him. That's what he did. See, if it was up to us to justify ourselves through our works, we would all stand guilty. Every single one of us. And just like in our American legal system or our justice system, when we're guilty, there's, there's a penalty. But once that penalty is paid, or the fine is paid, or we've done our time, or whatever it was, we no longer have a guilty verdict against us. What Jesus did is he paid our fine. He did our time. He took that for us. In fact, he foresaw on our road from, from Jerusalem to Jericho what was going to happen to us. And he said, no, 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 let me go for you. This is what he did so that, so that our guilt has been paid for and we can stand in the presence of God, shameless, and receive his grace. Romans 3, 21 through 26. I'm going to read it. I want you to listen carefully to these words. But now God has shown us a way to be made right without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned. We fall short, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus, Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood, putting our faith in him. 
God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. The ESV translation says that he is the justifier. He alone is the justifier. We cannot possibly justify ourselves. We think, if you think you can, you're wrong. Are you seeking to justify yourself tonight? Are you seeking to avoid the penalty of your own sin by merit, by, by works of love? I'm telling you, you can't because you've already failed. Or are you willing to allow God's mercy to declare you innocent? This doctrine um, that I'm talking about right now is called justification by grace through faith. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we are justified by his grace. It's a, it's a doctrine that, that my uh, entire life, or at least Christian life so far, I have to just chew on. It's not a natural way of thinking. And I have to remind myself again and again, whenever I get prideful or whenever I feel shameful, that neither of those are the right response to what I've received. Ellen Cherry uh, is the name of a theologian. She's probably in her 50s or 60s now. But when she was a student at Temple University, uh, she was an atheist at the time. She was puzzling over a concept that as a non-believer, she found intriguing but hard to understand. And this was justification by grace through faith. I want to read this quote that she has explaining an experience in college. Justification by grace through faith. What are they talking about? So I decided to try it on. I just I lifted up my arms and I put it over me like a dress. The doctrine. I tried it on myself. I tried it out. It wasn't just words. I tried it. And I fell off the chair. It was in July. It was very hot. I was on the third floor in my study. I tried it on like a dress and I literally fell over. It wasn't, oh, that's how it works, isn't that terrific, but that if I trusted enough in God's love and mercy that I wouldn't worry about things so much. And this seemed to have immediate practical value. If you realize this morning how spiritually bankrupt you are, how guilty you stand in the presence of God, whether you've been a believer your entire life or whether you're still not sure what you believe, um, I invite you to just try it on like a dress again. If you're a guy, maybe like a pair of jeans or something. Try it on. Just try it. If you don't get it the first time, just, just keep trying. You'll receive it. Um, if, you're, if you're feeling compelled this morning to give your life to Jesus, um, I'd encourage you to get baptized. I'm going to, if this is you right now, quietly take out your phone. I'm going to give you my email address. The email address is jhotchkiss, H-O-T-C-H-K-I-S-S, at S-U-M-C dot co. Send me an email this week or talk to me. This morning, talk to Bob, 
and uh, let's figure this thing out. Let's get going on it. <laughs> if you're a believer, um, I encourage you again and again and again to just drown yourself in this doctrine. To just remind yourself every morning you wake up how you are justified. It is only in this mindset where we have received God's love and mercy that we're able, truly able, to live out the law that he gave us. It's only in this mindset that we can love others and show others mercy the way that God calls us to. If this were you asking Jesus, who is my neighbor, who would be the Samaritan in your story? Would it be uh, homosexuals? Would it be Muslims? Would it be uh, atheists? Would it be, I, I I don't know you. It's probably different for every one of us. It might just be some annoying person at the office that sits right next to you. So that's probably more likely. We're going to pray, uh, and then afterwards, we're just going to show a video about a a ministry that's available to you. And this ministry has effectively kind of bridged the gap between cultural boundaries. Um, Might be a great way to just extend a hand uh, in a very good Samaritan type of way. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, everyone here today and their ears that you've opened to hear. Just as you've changed my life, I pray that you change their lives. Just absolutely, radically transform their hearts. Let us as a community lift one another up. Let us as a community um, participate in your mission of extending your love and mercy to the world and to the surrounding communities so that others might just be drawn to you like they were drawn to Jesus. God, we love you, and this is all for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.